This podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to We're Not Over Six Feet Under, the podcast where we talk about the aughts, most morose TV show about a Gen Xer and a funeral home and mortality, episode by episode, spoiler free. I'm your host, Caroline McGraw. I'm a playwright and screenwriter. And I'm your other host, Jenna Shearer. I'm a writer, editor, and pop culture critic. This week, we're talking about season one, episode 12, A Private Life, which originally aired on August 19th, 2001. This episode was written by Kate Robin and directed by Rodrigo Garcia. I love Rodrigo Garcia. He's great. And I love Kate Robin written episodes. Yeah. I think this is her first one, um, but Rodrigo Garcia previously did The Room, which That's right. we canonically love. Um, Kate Robin will, no spoilers, write more episodes, and they will be good. That's not a very big spoiler. <laughs> That's a huge spoiler. It's not a big spoiler. She's, you can go on IMDb. It's fine. So this is a really heavy episode, but yes. also one of my favorites of the season. It's also an episode where I was saying... Heaven can't Rico constantly ah, <laughs> to yeah. myself. Yep. I don't know if there is a Team Rico, but it was a tough one for Team Rico. We open on, I would say, probably the heaviest death of the week today, yeah. even with all the child death. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so we have two young men who are like clearly like very happy and like probably in love and they're taking out money from an ATM um, and getting all cuddly and, and it's really sweet and you know that something menacing and ominous is going to happen. Yeah, because, they're teasing each other. Yeah. Um, so that in, in Six Feet Underworld and in just television foreshadowing world, you know, that's not good. Ha- the happiness cannot last. A car pulls up to the ATM. It has some uh, troglodyte men in it. Uh, and one of the young men at the ATM uh, immediately just wants to book it out of there. Yeah. And these terrible people in the car are, need I say they're straight white men? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I guess I don't need to, yeah. but I'm going to. And uh, they are yelling at them, and then they uh, start to uh, wail on both of them. One of them has a pipe, it looks like. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and so the two men, the two uh, gay men run in opposite directions, and one of them gets away, and the other one is, is caught by these two guys, and they beat him to death in a parking lot, and it's really brutal. Contextually for this, Matthew Shepard was murdered in 1998 yeah. in Laramie. So this would have been, you know, three years later. Interestingly, uh, I know I bring up Queer as Folk a lot, but the really interesting thing with Queer as Folk here in this episode is Queer as Folk season one finale aired about a month before this. Mm-hmm. And in that finale, spoilers for Queer as Folk, there is a like big scene of like violence against a gay man where a gay man is brutally beaten and it's you know like one of the main characters and this episode only aired a few weeks later this was like a conversation that was very much on the air um i think in a way that it hadn't been before that event happened in 1998 if i remember correctly i believe the actor who plays marcus foster jr who is the young man who is killed looks a little bit like matthew shepard he does but yeah, anyway, his death date comes up, 1978 to 2001. He's 23 years old. Yeah. We go to the Fisher home, and Rico has brought his baby to work. Because he's Rico. Augusto. The baby's very cute. Vanessa's there, and Ruth and Vanessa are sort of looking at Rico, giving Nate the baby, and Ruth looks really joyful and happy mm-hmm. um, to just be around this baby. David comes in, and he's very awkward. David and Nate are both super awkward around this baby. Like, Nate has no idea how to hold the baby. And I think when David sees a baby, he sees a future that he doesn't think he can have as a gay man, which is really rough and sad. So sad. God, I guess nobody on this show can ever really read anybody's body language. But Vanessa (laughs) just goes in there and makes David hold the baby. And then Rico, this is my first (laughs) Heaven Can't Rico of many, is he says... When are you two going to grow up and make this woman a grandmommy? This really might be the origin story of my hatred for Rico. The idea that 
having children means you're an adult. Oh, I hate it. Is a nightmare. I hate it. Talking about people's reproductive choices when you don't know anything about what they're going through, also a nightmare. Doing this in front of Ruth, insane. Mm-hmm. Like, I just hate him so much. Rico weaponizes his family constantly. And he I'm does. That's very a very good word for it. for it. Oh, my God. This whole episode, he's just like heteronormativity, the musical. Yes. Like, it's too much. Too much, Rico. So next, we have Claire and Gabe at school. Claire has driven Gabe in her awesome hearse. We uh, get a lot of the hearse in this, uh, in this episode. We do. I feel like it's been sort of absent. It's Gabe's first time back at school since he OD'd and he's very nervous about it and what people will think and Claire is very reassuring saying, you know, like nobody's even going to know about it. Don't worry about it. She's like very much in like supportive worried about him mode uh, this entire episode. I mean, Claire is very right that all teenagers are thinking about her themselves. They're not. And people. I shouldn't even just say teenagers. It's just people. I don't quite know how long Gabe has been out of school, but he seems pretty freaked out. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's gone through a lot of shit. In the next scene, Brenda is confronting Billy after his extremely creepy behavior when they were in Vegas. Yes. um, In which uh, he was spying on Brenda and Nate while they were in bed in their hotel room. Brenda is is confronting Billy, I think, not as firmly as he needs to be confronted. I wouldn't be confronting him at this point. Nate talks about it a little later. I would be in restraining order yeah. mode. Yeah, and Billy tries to do the things that usually works on, on Brenda, calling her a bitch, saying that yep. she's acting just like their mom. <laughs> the old classics. Yeah, like just playing all the hits, and Brenda is unmoved. I mean, And or trying is, to charm her. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's really bringing out the Billy charm, and she she's not into it. Um, she keeps saying she wants him to go back on the meds, which... Seems important, but also seems like closing the door after the horse has left the barn. Yeah. Like, he does seem like it, it, something else needs to happen it's, here. It's gone beyond, like, bipolar untreated at this point. Brenda demands her key back, and, you know, he finally gives it to her. But then he says it'd be really easy to break in. Oh, boy. <sighs> it's It's bad. When I was watching this, I think I said to myself out loud, watching it by myself, you got to change those locks. And then she does say, I could change the locks. And he's, he says, you know, I could break in here. And I was like, this is just a house of windows. I was going to say, her house is the second most windowy house on Six Feet Under. She should really move. So next we're in the funeral home, in the intake room. Uh, Mark Foster's parents are there planning his funeral. Uh, David offers them a closed casket, but Mark Foster's mother wants it to be open. And this is the beginning of what will continue throughout the episode of nobody saying the word gay. Yes. Um, until later. So, like, Marcus's mom is is much more sympathetic and is like, how, you know, we lost our son. This is horrible. And his dad's argument, played by Arthur Taxier, who was in Donnie Darko. I was like, why wow. did he look so familiar? So uh, Marcus's father's, you know, basic argument is like, you know, this wouldn't have happened to him if he hadn't, like, made the choices about his lifestyle that yeah. he did. And, you know, why did he never tell them about it? Like, this is David getting information that, like David, Marcus never came out to his parents. Yeah, it's it's really just like, and I think it's done very well, but it's David, like, seeing all of the arguments about like coming out and not coming out. This is also another instance of open casket or closed being used as like a shorthand, like a dramatic shorthand for like, yeah, are we going to see this or are we not going to see this thing? Mm -hmm. And uh, his father does not want an open casket and his mother wants to see him. So he, he will need to be reconstructed. And Nate is here too. Yeah, and it doesn't do much in this. Scene. I just want to note that through, this is a little bit of a heaven can't Nate that oh, Nate do it knowing that David is gay and really fucked up about it doesn't ever kind of go to him and say like, "Hey man, like I'm sure this must be a really hard yeah. funeral for you to deal with." Yeah, look, I'm not. I don't want to ever make excuses for Nate. I do think he is mired in his own like Brenda Billy drama. It's true. It's true. And the thing with Billy is fucking scary yeah but i actually hadn't thought of that and you're totally right so then rico is changing his son in the embalming room i hate it rico calls mark foster cinderella uh i know that he it's part of a larger joke that he thinks he's making about getting him ready for the ball but uh 
that's not a mistake that he calls a gay man Cinderella. No, this is like the the curtain slowly opening on Rico's deep, deep homophobia. Oh, man. I mean, my thought as soon as David said he wanted to reconstruct this body himself is this ghost is going to like fuck him yeah, up. Yeah, totally. Like every single ghost he's basically used as a way to yell at himself about his shame about being gay. Yeah. And this one is like his worst fears made manifest. I have a question. Has Nate had a ghost who is not Nate Sr. visit him yet? I think they've all just been David. I think they've all just been David. I was thinking about this because it's so funny. Like, remembering the season, I'm always like, oh, yeah, like, we learn about Nate and his family. This season is about David. Going back and watching the season, I think you're right. I think the character who has the main arc of this season is David. It's David. Yeah. And I think also Nate, is at least in season one, is very much a reactive character. Yes, absolutely. He, he kind of reacts to all these things around him. You know, he's thrown into these situations where his father died or where he has to have dinner alone with the Chenoweths. Yeah, or um, his, his girlfriend's brother is fucking with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and for David, um, it's very much he's having this really intense internal struggle. Yeah, that they do a really good job of very slowly teasing out throughout yeah, the season. Absolutely. No, I think it's really I think it's really great. And this episode is where it kind of comes to a head. That's true. So we leave this scene, David is insistent that he's going to do the reconstruction. And Rico like doesn't think he can, but also Rico's like, I wanna spend time with my baby and be straight. So I'm gonna just <laughs> We're gonna spend time with my weaponized family. I'm, yeah, with my <laughs> The only prop I will give Rico, literally the only one in this episode, is that he does seem like a very involved and attentive father. Yes. So Brenda and Nate are at dinner, and she is recapping her Billy fight. Nate has also gotten a haircut. Oh. It's like nice for him. It's very spiky. They're at this like fancy restaurant in a way where I'm like, do adults go on dates like this once they're like in a relationship? I don't know. (laughs) I mean... I go to like dinner with my husband, but we're not like, let's go to the candlelight, please. Like it's, I don't know. It seems like a weird place for them to be. It felt like we're going to get in a fight restaurant. Yes, that is true. It's like, we need a public place to have this. Um, I guess it can't be in the parking lot and then in an out burger. It's site specific theater. Nate, after hearing the recap of the Billy fight is like, that's it. All that happened was you took his key away. And I do agree with him, even though his tone is uh, stupid. Common Nate thing, he's right, but he's saying it in the douchiest way possible. (laughs) Yes, yes. Being technically right is Nate's real thing. This scene is a little bit my heaven can't Nate, just because I do think that he immediately jumps to the like, why didn't you do something else? As opposed to like letting this breathe a little bit. It's obviously very hard for Brenda. Yeah, I... I I can understand where Nate's coming from in this, though. Like, could he handle it more decorously? Yes. But I understand, like, that he's, like, scared and upset, like, both for himself and for Brenda. Yeah, I guess so. So he says Billy needs to be committed, which, again, he is right, but it is a very intense thing to involuntarily commit a person. Yes. It is not something that happens easily or lightly. And, And Brenda, for her part, is just basically like, and I, it's funny, I feel like I've had this conversation before where I'm like, I just want to tell you about this thing that sucks and you tell me, like, it's okay that you're upset. Yeah, yeah, or you say I'm right or you yeah. say, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Nate is offering, you know, unsolicited advice. So I can, I can kind of see true. both their sides, like, because she does need to do something more than she did yeah, for her tough, safety. Yeah, it's tough because they're both right. Yeah, um, but I can also totally understand her being like, you're not the person I need you to be for me right now. Yeah, um, so they... Brenda basically breaks up with Nate. Mm-hmm. She leaves the re- doesn't she leave the restaurant? She leaves she, like, and she bounces. says we need to like take a break, but it feels like a breakup. Yeah. In the next scene, David and Ruth are eating dinner and also not saying the word gay. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a real subtext email. It's real tense. Kay Robin comes from like a playwriting background and mm-hmm. this this scene feels very theatrical. Yes. It's like a Two, like this kind of two-hander where it's like, do you have something to say? Pass the salt. Do you have something to say? What a wonderful recipe. Like it's so 
subtexty and t- like yeah. tight in on both of them just like the camera's just like flipping between the two of them and they're at opposite ends of this table it's very like Edward Albee yes absolutely and then Ruth wants to talk about Mark Foster she's kind of really trying to get it out of him and get him to talk about it but mm-hmm. it's under too many layers I think Ruth is trying her damn best here and yeah. you know it's obviously not perfect but yeah, she's no. just like I think the thing with Mark Foster's death has like because she has recently become aware that David is gay and is also worried about that he's you know engaging in dangerous behavior yeah. which he is yeah, he and is, which Keith absolutely. has called him out on yeah she starts bringing up like I know you don't approve of me and Hiram yeah which but you <laughs> still love me I know she's trying those things are so different Ruth I know and also no we don't approve of you and yeah. Hiram um, she's I mean she's like not doing a great job and and as David later points out it's kind of too little too late yeah but um but she she's trying and you know she's genuinely worried for her son but this is this scene with the two most talking around yes things people in this show uh and the next scene Claire is back with Gary at therapy therapy um, <laughs> I love Claire's outfit in this scene. It's very Veronica Mars season one. It's like yeah. this like green like camo overshirt yes. and then like this pink shirt underneath and it mm-hmm. looks awesome and Jeez. I would totally wear it right now. Gary is going through a list of all of Claire's failed activities. She dropped jazz vocals because the teacher was a crackhead, <laughs> uh, literally, which I thought was very funny. Yeah. And then we learn that she stopped doing Lit Mag because she drew a cartoon that has a girl who makes people's heads explode, which we saw in a previous episode. Yes, we saw her daydream of this happening. Um, So that's nice that she took her interior fantasies and externalized them, which is uh, how art works. But um, (laughs) she she blames censorship, uh, which is not accurate. And I don't want to have to tell Claire about what the First Amendment actually means, but it's fine. But it, it does become clear that Claire doesn't really have any hobbies except catfishing people on the internet, which I love. Oh, Oh my God, right? And then Gary asks about her friendships and she mentions Parker. And then he asks about her dating life, which she is evasive about. But also like, is that cool for him to be asking this? So I do, this comes back later in the episode. I have a question about Gary's purview uh, because I don't actually know, like later in the episode, he asks, he he sees her with Gabe. We'll talk about it later. But like he sees her with Gabe and he's like, oh, you're friends with Gabe Demas. And I'm like, should you be bringing up something that you saw in a parking lot? Yeah, I don't get where the line is with him because he also told her that he could promise her confidentiality, but I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. And actually, we'll we'll talk about it when we get there, but I actually have some questions about that. Um, in the next brief scene, we see Keith uh, on duty in his uniform. So Keith's chief or supervisor asks him to do security at the Mark Foster funeral. Because he knows that they're going to be protesters on both sides of the line and Keith is like is it because I'm gay and the boss is like yeah but also do it and in the next scene David is putting together Marcus's body and he's with Marcus's ghost who is just David's like most hateful inner demon basically made manifest and he looks like he like his body does he's all beaten up yes his his face is bloody and deformed so terrible and this actor is great he does a really really good job I think that there's a world where you could be watching this episode and you're like okay so David like had the interaction with the ghost of the uh, pornography actress who who was sort of like be a man and then he had the racially very problematic relationship with Paco's ghost and you're like this guy was gay and like sort of openly gay and maybe he's gonna like tell David everything's gonna be all right but this guy does not have any good vibes for David no this guy is like I deserved what I got and I'm going to hell and how can I be saved a lot of David's issues around religion come up in yes, this episode absolutely and I, I wish we had meg deans here to talk about this stuff because I, I find it really interesting and it happens more later in the episode how david thinks about his relationship to god yeah and to goodness in relation to his gayness yeah because you know we had that scene a few um episodes ago where he's getting sworn in as a deacon when he sees this church full of naked men mm-hmm. like sort of blessing him yeah and it kind of leaves this open question of 
of like, can he have this version of his faith that also encompasses his sexuality and who he is? Yeah. But this uh, this ghost is like, nope, nope, you cannot. No, this ghost says that he uh, should have quashed the urge to be gay and had a family and that he's going to hell. And David also argues against him and yeah. says, you know, this isn't a choice. This is who we are. But the ghost, who is also David, is yes. arguing the opposite point. The next thing we see Nate studying for the funeral exam. So he's going to study to take it again, which is nice. Mm-hmm. He leaves a message for Brenda. Uh, and he, I think he's being very mature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets another call as soon as he hangs up. And he's being asked to pick up a body from a residence. <sighs> dun, dun, dun. Okay. Um, Ruth is at work at the flower shop uh, with Robbie. And <sighs> love Robbie. I do love Robbie. This is a, I just like adore Robbie in this episode. Um, he's being real bitchy, but I'll allow it. It's fine. Um, yeah. Ruth kind of deserves it. So Ruth asks Robbie how he told his parents that he was gay. Well, she says, how did you tell your parents you were? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, into flowers. <laughs> I think she does actually then afterward ask if he's gay. And Robbie calls her out for making assumptions. The thing is, if I were Ruth, I would have said, look at your pants. <laughs> He is wearing bright orange cargo pants. I love the pants. Those are not heterosexual pants. Yes. So anyway, Robbie really like chews her out, which I respect. And then um, he ends the conversation by saying that is a shitty place for the lily, which is something I'm going to try to end conversations from now on. So then Nate shows up at the haunted residence. This Okay, this is my conspiracy theory of the week. Oh, boy. <laughs> is that Billy actually was the creator of Sleep No More. <laughs> okay. For one thing, absolutely he was the creator of Sleep No More. 100%. He's like 40 now. He's a little older. Probably, probably moved to London, started Punch Drunk. Man. This is, this is a workshop production of Sleep No More. Billy loves loves immersive theater and everybody can guess what I mean about a person when I say that. Nate takes an a haunted elevator to a haunted hallway and I just am like, oh you're so dumb. But and he's like, hello? What a dummy. On the haunted elevator, by the way, he turns and there is a picture of Claire. Wait, I think I actually missed that when I re- I think I looked away for a minute and I forgot because I did I forgot that there's a picture of Claire on the elevator and he's still like, wonder what's happening here. <laughs> I mean I know he can't like just leave the gurney in the elevator, but he's just like, I'm gonna go down this hallway. And there's candles. The Chinois love candles. They love candles. His facial expression is so inscrutable. He's kind of like, I know I'm about to get fucked with, but I'm interested in seeing what how this pans out. Yeah. Whereas I would just be like, I have to call 911 immediately. I will say, and I know that I'm stupid and don't watch out for my own welfare, but I would keep going. No, absolutely not. I would not keep going. The lighting is just beautiful. So there's the candles. And so then the next picture we see is the picture of Billy holding Claire's breast and kissing her and kissing her and it is called your sister and me 2001 and jeremy's sister's facial expression in that photo is crazy oh yeah it's It's, wild it's so crazy and there's also creepy music playing oh yeah that's right um and this is this This is is some sleep from uh the opera lesir d'amour which means the elixir of love and i mean a little on the nose billy yeah it's fine so nate's morbid curiosity sort of propels him down this candle hallway and uh then he finds a picture of uh him having very intense sex with Brenda. And then there's there's a sign which I thought was hilarious that said installation continues in the next room. <laughs> oh man, Billy, this is so wild. He's also just clearly filled the room with like his possessions, which are like mannequin parts and surfboards. Yeah. <laughs> so Nate finally gets into like the main installation room there's more candles there's all sorts of pictures of like self-portraits of billy which i think maybe we saw before when he was like talking about that show with brenda Mm -hmm. and then a bloody mattress covered in a sheet with a body underneath with a body underneath (laughs) you can see that nate thinks that billy has killed himself oh see i thought nate thought that billy had murdered brenda 
No, because he says, Jesus, Billy, you fucking psycho to himself, which was hilarious. I think that he would have a different reaction if he thought Brenda was murdered. That's fair. I think he thinks Billy killed himself. So Nate sort of like kneels next to this bed and then Billy is screaming and like scares the shit out of Nate. But he jumps out and he's like delighted, like, oh, prank. Like, I got you, bro. Yeah, he's in a good mood. Yeah. He's like, isn't that great? Don't you love that? Which, like, does he actually think that Nate's going to be like, haha, we're bros now because you set me up an art installation to make me think that you killed yourself? Nate is fully like, you need to stay away from Claire, mm-hmm. which is, is the correct response. Yeah. I just realized Nate never talks to Claire about this in this episode. Claire is off in Gabe world yeah. in this episode. I don't know if she interacts with any of the other Fishers in this episode. That's true. I don't think she does. But she is home. Like, he could find her. Then Billy busts out box cutters that he has, uh, like, kind of stuck into the wall. And there's this ominous, like, where he's clicking them in and out. And, you know, Nate is like, well, fuck, he has a knife. I think that Peter Krause is really amazing in this part of this. He's good in the whole scene, but like he's mm-hmm. amazing in this part of the scene because like you see him de-escalate Billy in this really He does a great job. Yeah, he does an excellent job. And in a way that you even see Billy kind of go like, "Oh shit, I'm being de-escalated, but I'm like sort of into it." Like, mm-hmm. well, also Billy brings up Trevor. Mm-hmm. Brend- Brenda's I guess like high school ex-boyfriend and is sort of like ranting because because Nate has been like you built a bomb and he's basically like it, I wanted to blow up Trevor or like threaten Trevor yeah because Nate had thought it was uh, for her doctor yes the Charlotte Light and Dark doctor yeah so he rants about Trevor which is the first we've heard of Trevor as well we're mm-hmm. hearing along with Nate and Nate really doesn't engage with it. Nate's like, yeah, she broke up with me too. Like sort of being like, she broke up with both of us, huh? Which is like a really smart way to like get Billy to be on his side long enough for him to escape. Well, yeah. And Billy doesn't quite say like, oh yeah, that's tough, man. But he is kind of like, okay, it's well, it's for the best. And sort of like immediately views Nate as not a threat anymore. Yeah. And uh, Nate pieces out of there. Mm Mm-hmm. The scene was a real whirlwind. So in the next scene, Claire is drawing another exploding head person in her sketchbook, which I like getting to see that. And this is also the first time we see Claire do art. Yes, it is. And she's outside the school and Gabe comes and sits with her and he talks about how it's exhausting being normal all day. I don't know how normal Gabe was being, but I get it. (laughs) And Claire says the iconic line. Isn't it comforting to know that being miserable is still better than being an idiot? So Gary is in the parking lot and Gary sees Gabe and Claire hanging out and she's kind of like, shit. Um, We're back with Ruth and Robbie and Robbie's pants. So in the previous scene, Ruth had said, how did you come out to your parents? And Robbie had said, I'm not just going to give you the most horrible moment from my intimate past. So Ruth is now like, do you want to hear the most horrible moment from my intimate past, Robbie? <laughs> Ruth is like an emotional fire hose. Like she's either not on at all or she's like. Yes, that is absolutely true. So Ruth's most embarrassing, horrible moment is uh, that when she was intimate with Hiram for the first time. God, I'm talking like Ruth, intimate. They're having sex. And Hiram asks her to uh, masturbate. uh, And Ruth did not know how because she had never masturbated before. At 52 years old. (sighs) And Robbie is of course charmed by this because how could you not be and Robbie is like I never came out to my parents because they would have lost their minds and like my mother only cared like like any failure of her children was like a failure a personal failure on her part and it's so pointed at Ruth Mm -hmm. and then she she's like I'm not like that like in the way that you know she definitely is like that yeah and Robbie says uh, a line that feels very like thematic for all of six feet under he says a child knows what his parents need him to be oh yeah so in this next scene Nate is at Brenda's house Brenda is sort of like did Billy threaten you which it just is like Brenda still seems to be sort of like she's still very protected. She yeah, has a like, huge blind spot when it comes yeah, to Yeah, like if Nate told that story at all accurately, it is so cuckoo bananas. She's like, but no one got stabbed, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's very... a very low bar she has for Billy. She also t- tells Nate about Trevor, who was a guy that she dated when she was in high school. Um, and she had been in love with him, but Trevor went on to Yale without her so she could take care 
of Billy. She also says that Trevor is now married to the woman who won the National Book <laughs> Award last year. So, of course, I had to check who won the National Book Award in 2000. Oh, yeah. Who was it? Susan Sontag. Oh, my God. Trevor is married to Susan Sontag? Yes. Who was in her 70s at the time oh. and also was in a relationship with Annie Leibovitz. So that must have been a really interesting Man, Trevor trouble. has a sexual magnetism that truly no woman can overcome. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, Nate tells Brenda she's very gifted and she could have everything in the way that kind of Trevor has everything. I don't think that we have any evidence yet that Brenda would be particularly good at any particular thing. Like, we know Mm -hmm. she's very smart. We just don't know where that intelligence would be directed. I don't think she does either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's the thing. Like, this is sort of the beginning of, like... Yeah maybe Brenda exploring that because yeah we do, I, I don't think that she's like I want to do this I want to do that I think she probably doesn't want to be a masseuse for the rest of her life I think you know. the flow of her like ambition and her life path basically got interrupted when she was 18 and didn't go to Yale yeah it's true so Nate like simultaneously like compliments her about that but then when she says that she's like not okay and not feeling well he's he asks if she needs to go to the doctor which is the exact wrong thing to say to Brenda right now Ugh. And then he also like low key threatens to call her parents to have Billy like committed without her. Yeah, we find out they're in South Africa, which of course they are. Yep. And Brenda's very like classic depression wants to go to sleep, which you know. Yeah, I get it. So David drives by the ATM near where Mark Foster was killed, and there's a vigil going on in this parking lot. And David is constantly driving by places, looking creepy, looking creepy, yeah. and seeing people in and making van. eye contact with people from yeah. his van. It's he, weird. He and makes long eye, eye contact with this guy, and I think well, if it was I were Eddie. That, yeah. Oh, was that Eddie? Yes, it's Eddie. I didn't realize that was Eddie. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Keith is not in this scene. We don't see Keith. No, Keith isn't in the scene. I think this is a moment for David to see that this man was loved. Yeah. He thinks that he is rendered unlovable by his yeah. homosexuality. Yeah. And clearly, like, the ghost is projecting that. So Claire is back in therapy or whatever the hell this is. Gary comes in very hot about Gabe and as we've talked about unclear if this is like in his purview or appropriate or whatever. Claire says that Gabe is an extreme version of her which is not how I think of Gabe. No no that surprised me I think that that is like supposed to show that Claire has kind of a warped idea of herself. She says she understands feeling like a shadow and Gary asks her what her shadow is and her father just died. No one talks about That's, it. In I, this I expected her to say, "Well, the, the thing that the thing that she and Gabe have the most in common is that they both just lost a close family member." Yes, but that doesn't come up. No, not at all. Like you would think that that would be sort of the first thing, but Claire instead. And I mean, I guess she is talking about her father sort of implicitly, but she talks about the silence in the house. And I love this part when she describes like when someone dies, it's the most sensitive time in a person's life and you have to be careful what you say and that everybody in the house has just like taken to not saying anything because yeah. they have to be quiet. And that they, they almost become invisible. Um, and then she kind of very effectively uh, analyzes herself and yeah. says, I'm basically doing the same thing when I talk a lot of shit. When I talk shit, it's just my way of being as avoidant as yeah. my family is when they're silent. Yeah, it's really, ugh, I love this scene. So this is where she tells Gary that Gabe didn't OD by accident. Oh, and then she's like, is this confidential? Isn't he a mandatory reporter? Like, is I'm Gabe pretty sure under if- 18? Yeah, I'm pretty sure if there was, he must be if he's in high school, unless well, he's, he could. He was held I back. Ne- I'm never clear if maybe yeah. he's a senior. If he got held back, he could be 18. But like, ev- either way, like that seems like something where he'd be like, I have to tell somebody about this because you just told me that somebody is suicidal. And Claire says like she she's like, oh, I know about all the I can't save him stuff, and it's like she doesn't really seem to like she seems to think she can save Gabe. Yeah, she really wants to save Gabe, but and she's self aware enough to know that she shouldn't mm-hmm. want to save Gabe. It's it's a real Ouroboros of dysfunction. And she basically asks Gary, "What can I do? Yeah, like what can I do to help him? What can I do to make him want to live?" Basically, yeah. oh. and uh, Gary says, "Try not to make yourself invisible." Oh, I wish Gary had said, get him into therapy or like... 
something yeah. else that's not as beautifully written. I know, like bring him here because I would also be his guidance counselor. Well, that's the thing. Like, I guess he can't make Gabe. He probably could make he him could, if he, he said to Claire? the principal, "Hey, yeah, exactly." Well, I mean, Claire did have the foot. I mean, he like she like got involved with the police. What power Gary has is is elusive to me. Yes. In the next scene, David is putting the finishing touches on Marcus's body in the casket. And uh, he has been fully reconstructed. He definitely looks dead, but he doesn't look as beaten up as he did. Yeah. And then Marcus's ghost is is over his shoulder. And very much at this point, like a devil on his shoulder almost. Yeah. And who's increasingly unconvincing, I think, because he's, you know, he's basically talking about how everyone hates him and how he's going to hell. And, yeah, and uh, David's seen people love him. Yeah. And David says there are people who love you. And then there's this this moment where he's interrupted by clapping and you think that it might be the ghost, but it's actually Rico clapping about the restoration job. And this scene is where Rico and I are parting ways forever. Yeah. Emotionally. Rico compliments the restoration. And then Rico says, there are 200 homos outside. And that is a direct quote. Yep. Says the word homos. Like, Let's say that Rico thinks David is just as homophobic and hateful as he is. Mm-hmm. You're in your workplace. I know. I know you changed your baby there. Don't say homos, you you nightmare. I hate him. <laughs> it's horrible. He oh keeps going on. God. He's talking about how he saw a drag queen. He doesn't call. He doesn't call. Oh, him like a, 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 a man dressed this like is, Jackie Kennedy. Yeah, which sounds dope. And he's basically just like, "LOL, isn't it hilarious? How many people have come out for this funeral?" Like. Like, even just in a basic human decency level being like, isn't it funny how many people care about how how this man has died? Well, and he says that the like the mother doesn't need to see all this. And I'm in like a very like, won't somebody think of the children sort of way. And I'm just like, it is not your business. And you can see throughout this, you can see David kind of boiling like a kettle. <laughs> David's vein is fully on his forehead, yeah. which I, I get. And then he he finally says, you know, Rico, I'm a homo. Mm, it's really great. I do wish he'd come out to Ruth first, but this owns. Like, this is so good. Yeah, I, I like that he comes out to uh, to Rico first. I think this is, like, one of the first moments where he's like, I'm proud of this. It is, like, such a perfect thing to somebody who has just been, like, on a homophobic rant thinking they're, like, with a like-minded person to be like, yeah. I'm gay as shit. And I couldn't remember what happened here, but I expected Rico to be like, oh, okay, I'm so sorry, boss. But instead, he's like... <sighs> He doubles down and he's he's just really reactionary and he says, where I come from, if men need to do that, they don't talk about it and they're still men and they go back to their wives. His whole reaction to this is so crazy. And then like... Although the thing is that it's not like there are a lot of people out there in America today who would have the same reaction that Rico's having right now. Oh, 100%. Totally. No, I mean, the reason, one of the reasons it's so horrible is that it's so, like, commonplace. Yes. Something about watching this episode now made me even angrier about the state of the world, where I'm just like, yeah. this was made in 2001, and, like, there's a lot of things that are just still the same. Yeah, that haven't changed. Yeah, or in some ways have gotten worse. So David hits back at Rico and is like, you had your baby in my home. You showed me a video of Vanessa giving birth? What the fuck, Rico? I don't care what anybody's relationship to you is. Don't show me a video of your wife giving birth. Does Vanessa know that this happened? She probably does, actually. That seems like something Vanessa doesn't care about. But, like, Rico is a walking the straights are at it again meme. Oh, and then I need to talk about my revelation that I had about Rico, which is that in the year 2019, if Mm -hmm. we were watching this show, and if Rico were here... Rico would have had a gender reveal party. I was literally just about to say that. I was about to say, I bet Rico would have a gender reveal oh party. Oh my God. His tacky ass would ab- And he would be the one who wanted it. Vanessa would be like, whatever, fine. Yeah. I hate Rico so much. Oh, uh, yeah. Extreme Rico can fuck right off. Yeah. Uh, in the next scene, uh, Gabe and Claire are studying and drinking beer in the back of Claire's hearse. Gabe calls Claire a trig bitch, which is a very strange thing to say. They make out a little. Claire starts crying. She says that she's scared he's going to disappear, and he promises that he won't. And this is all, again, the directing is really beautiful here. It's all this yeah. kind of like shaky handheld camera. Yeah. And the show so rarely has a handheld camera that it's really noticeable. Gabe says he's scared Claire is too good for him. 
Gabe's got lines. Claire is so into it. Oh my she, God. Like, Claire like furiously melts. making out with him. Yeah. As soon as he's like, she's like, that's exactly what I want to hear all the time. Um, so Nate and Ruth are making dinner and Nate is sort of like talking about Brenda thing. And Ruth is like, oh, you love emotionally unavailable women. <laughs> and Nate is like, why would that be? And I was like, oh, that is very Freudian. Yeah. Right up top. This scene is my heaven can't Nate. Yeah, th- that's fair. So Ruth is asking Nate if David is gay and Nate fairly says that's that's a question for David. Mm-hmm. And Ruth like fire hoses. Yeah. And uh and is just like nobody ever tells me anything and you must know and I'm worried about him and Nate is doing he does the exact thing that Claire was telling Gary her family does, mm-hmm. which is that he just shuts down and is like completely like calm and cool and collected and is just like being an extreme fisher and being like, I don't know why you're reacting about this so much. And maybe he just doesn't want to tell you. Yeah. I mean, I don't expect him to out David. Like that would also be shitty. Yeah. Like you said, I agree that when he's like, that's a question for him. Like that should sort of be the end of that conversation. But since yeah. it went somewhere. He's being really mean to Ruth in yeah. this scene. Like meaner than I think we've ever seen him be to Ruth. Um. So in the next scene, uh, Brenda watches a movie called Bunny Lake is Missing. It's a movie directed by Otto Preminger mm. about a woman whose mentally unstable, obsessive brother gaslights her into believing her child never existed because he thought that the child was coming between them. Um, is the network that she's watching this on the Brenda This Is Your Life network? Yes. <laughs> she hears a noise. She goes out in her fabulous nightgown that I would like to purchase. Uh, Billy broke into her house as he promised he would do and she didn't make any precautions she was like, to nah. prevent his hands are covered with blood mm-hmm. uh he knows how to fix what's going on uh between them by cutting off the old tramp stamp yep with the box cutters oh yeah the box cutters that were sticking into the it's wall bad. of the sleep no more house like oh, god i bet he uh, did not splash any rubbing alcohol on those before he went to town on his lower back no that shit is gonna get infected he's ranting about nathaniel and isabel he comes at brenda with uh, the box cutter and it is uh genuinely scary yeah brenda tries to be like you know, he's like, you have to cut yours out too. And Ugh. she's like, she's like, okay, like give it to me and I'll do it. She's not as good at talking him down as Nate no. was. <laughs> she needs to, she's like, yeah, I'm totally going to cut it down. I'm like, you need to commit to that a little better. Yeah. I can tell you're not going to cut your lower back tattoo off. And then Billy's like, I have to do it. And it's scary. He tackles her to the ground yeah. and he's got the box cutters on her and she sort of like manages to elbow him. Like it's a very, it's a very self-defense move. So when he's down, she calls for an ambulance I would have called the police first. I think calling for the ambulance is her still at this point. Like Brenda is completely myopic and he's selfless sick. Yeah. When, he's, when she's dealing with Billy. Billy's sick. Like uh, she's not even thinking about her own welfare. God, he tried to cut a tattoo off you, girl. Ooh. Yeah. Next we're at Marcus Foster's funeral. A bunch of cool people hold up homos and hell signs. It's like Westboro. Yeah. And this was, you know, this was the time period when they were really coming to the fore because it started at Matthew Shepard's funeral. Yeah. But then I believe it's uh, the the other man we saw in the first scene is scattering um, soil on Marcus's coffin. Oh, is it his his boyfriend? I think it is. I was actually thinking that I was like, we don't see the boyfriend again. He's not involved in the funeral plans. Mm Mm-hmm. And Nate and David and Rico are there. And they're walking back to the car after the, you know, the funeral has happened. And these idiots are yelling, God, God hates, hates fags. Max. And then Nate yells back, God hates morons, which heaven can, Nate. Yeah, heaven can totally. Hang that with was that, wonderful. Nate. And then something like snaps in David, as it should. Mm-hmm. And he lunges at one of these dummies and Keith is the one who's holding him back because yeah. Keith is there as security. And apparently he didn't see that it was Keith before, which is a little weird to me. David punches this guy. He says, look, God just got you in the face. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so It's pretty good. great. And Keith is into it. Keith is into it. He did a good job of, again, de-escalating the situation. Yeah. He, I mean... He got David away and he, and he told the guy, like, fucking back off. And then... 
David and Keith are like leaning on uh, Keith's <laughs> They're cop hanging car. out. I'm not really sure what the circumstances under which David was able to hang out with Keith on the cop car, but whatever. And David apologizes and Keith is like delighted by what David did. He is. Because this is, this is David doing the thing that Keith has always wanted has him wanted to do, from which him. is for him to be like, to take a stand like on behalf of his you know lgbt identity yeah keith is a little patronizing to david and is like he always is he always is david should use condoms and he did have sex with a sex worker without protection which is bad and david apologizes to keith not only for how he was in the relationship but for how he's been since how he's been doing this harmful stuff to himself and keith worries that david has a death wish basically and david assures him that he doesn't oh and they talk about like david says he wants to have kids and like mm-hmm. wants to be in church with his kid and keith is like you can have that and it seems to be the first time that david not that david's an idiot but like mm-hmm. david hasn't thought that he could no he he doesn't see that way for himself because yeah. he sees this very narrow path that's possible and they also talk about nate senior's attitude toward david's sexuality yeah. and whether or not he knew and david is talking about i never told him and keith is like you told me that he knew anyway and he's like yeah and he hated me for it and and keith is like how do you know that no yeah and i think that that's you didn't talk about absolutely it. not true like i i don't think that we've seen any evidence that that's true this is like obviously about david's emotional things yeah. it's not rational but but I, I don't think it's true it goes back to the thing that claire is talking about about Fisher's silence and yeah. like how you can't how there's the shadow hanging over them and none of them can know what any of them think unless they actually talk about it yeah um in the next scene Gabe and Clara shower together and Gabe raps and this is <laughs> tough because when you're a teenager and you shower with someone there's no going back that's true Gabe's rap is bad I do wanna, yeah I just I hope people know that so Billy's in the hospital and there's this sort of wordless scene where Brenda's dealing with the doctors. By the way, it took me a second to realize this. One of the doctors who Brenda is talking to in this mm-hmm. scene is Alan Ball. Oh, that's great. He makes this wordless cameo. Oh, good for him. As Get like your Billy's card, Alan Ball. <laughs> that's great. So I did laugh at Billy's face, but this is a very serious moment. Brenda's committing Billy. I think she should. Yeah. Nate arrives at the hospital and hugs her. Yeah. And I think this is, they're, they're, back, together. they're back together. Yeah. Um, so, oh, this oh my God. scene. So this is the scene where David comes out to Ruth. She's being very dramatic about having a headache. She's lying down and he just comes out and says, I'm gay. And then Ruth uh, immediately makes it about her. Yeah. She's like, why didn't you tell me sooner? Like, am I not like a mother that you think you can tell things to? And you can tell that like underneath all the like myopic narcissism, like she really is trying to communicate that she loves him. Yeah, but it's coming out as why didn't you tell me I'm great. (laughs) She is also actually saying, I don't choose which part of you I love like some kind of chicken. Yes. I love the chicken. Both of them are being highly imperfect in this scene, which yes. of course you would be. But David is basically like, I know that you. when you say you love me, you only mean that you love one part of me. They're both making a lot of assumptions. Um, yeah, I mean, she, he trying. doesn't necessarily know what she's going to be like as a mother to him now that she knows he's gay. I don't blame him for being worried about how this is going to go, but like he does need to give her a little bit of room. Mm-hmm. So by the end of this scene, they've come to an understanding. Yes. They're like, we have we have opened this door that we can then keep closed as we're both comfortable with. Yeah. But we've talked about this. She talks about how David doesn't need her. And um, David's like, I can take care of myself. Like, I'm, I'm an adult. And Ruth's I do like, still live at home. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Ruth says that she's worried that he's not taking care of himself, which yeah. he isn't. No, and he isn't. He's so tense all the time. It's a nightmare. Yeah. And, and this is the second time in the episode when David makes this promise like I will start taking care of myself going forward yeah the last scene of the episode is so beautiful and tough and Mm -hmm. amazing so David's in his room and Marcus Foster is still there which I think is also the only time that a ghost has still been there after they've been buried Mm -hmm. except for Nate Sr. and it feels like he's there because David's still like can't let go of this i mean david wakes up in the middle of the night with this ghost thinking that he has exercised this ghost by coming out yeah and by and and all these kind of purgative conversations he's had with rico and with with ruth and with keith but 
when he he wakes up and this ghost is still there, he's he's just so sad. David is just at his wit's end here and he gets down on his knees and prays to God to <sighs> take his pain away, to fill his loneliness with God's love. And this is another moment where I think it's really interesting David's religion and whether when he's asking this, if he's asking like please get rid of this what I perceive as a sin in me or whether he's saying please help me to love myself as I am. I I think it's the second one. Yeah. It's so powerful and it's such a effective like dramatization of what it feels like to like reach out yeah. to God. And it's a very both dark and light way to end the episode. I was Googling around and I, I found an interview uh, that Alan Ball did this year actually with the Television Academy where he was talking about David's sexuality um, and, and also his relation its relation to, you know, Alan Ball's own experiences mm. coming out as a gay man. And he said, the most important person that you come out to is yourself. Mm. And I think this is like, David has come out to all these people at this point. He's yeah. basically come out to all the most important people in his life. Yeah. But in a, in a very fundamental way, he still has not come out to himself. Yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. Whew. This is such a great episode. I love this episode. What letter grade would you give this episode? I really am tempted to give this episode an A+. I'm going to give it an A. I I think this episode is great. It's it's beautiful. It's um it has just these really great moments for so many different characters as we've discussed throughout and it it's just kind of the whole package this episode and it really gets to the heart of a lot of things that I love about 6 feet under. Yeah, absolutely. The storytelling is really balanced for all of the characters and like they each have these really profound moments. Maybe not Nate. It's so well written. The acting Mm -hmm. is great. The direction is gorgeous. Like I really love this episode. Yeah. And I think it's also really interesting the way that this episode uh, kind of presents a duality of the Fishers and the Chenoweths. Yeah. And the way the Fishers bury everything and that's bad. But the Chenoweths like put everything out there and that's also bad yeah n- no fishers lunged at anybody with a box cutter it's true their box cutters are all inside their own hearts for links to everything we talked about today and more information about us visit our website at notoversfu.com. if you like the show please subscribe tell a friend about it and leave us a rating or a review on itunes apple podcasts Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show. You can write to us at notoversfu at gmail.com or give us a shout on Twitter at notoversfu. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Jenna, at Second Husk. You can find me, Caroline, at Caroline V. McGee. You can find our producer, Allison Cherry, at Allison underscore Cherry. That's one L in Allison. Our theme song was written by Matt Berger and Melissa Lusk. And our logo was designed by Caitlin Trishiani. Until next time, be like Robbie and coax a widow into confiding in you about masturbation.